Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the 1871 podcast. And following on from our chat with Steve Koppel... We have another Raw's legend as our special guest for tonight's episode. And before I introduce our special guest for tonight, um, I put something out on social media, kind of as a, as a teaser to this episode. Um, I asked Reading fans if they could name two Canadians who have played for Reading. Um, so most people correctly named one or both of Bob Leonardutsi and Junior Hoylett. Uh, a couple of people also correctly pointed out that Deanne Rose plays for Reading Women. Uh, the only incorrect answer we had was from someone who said, was it Brian Adams and Avril Levine?" <laughs> as, far as, as far as I know, uh, I don't think either of them have played for Reading. Uh, but we do have one of the five Canadians that I've just mentioned as our special guest tonight. So you might not be surprised to learn that it's not Brian Adams or Avril, <laughs> or Avril Levine, uh, although it would be interesting to find out what, if anything, they know about Reading Football Club. Um, it's also not Deanne Rose, although we are expecting to have a current Reading FC women's player on as a guest very soon. And it's not Junior Hoylett. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome the first Canadian to play for Reading as our special guest. So... Welcome to the show, Bob Lenardutsi. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my, my memory's definitely being jogged, but uh, I have very, very fond memories of uh, my five, six years at Reading. Uh, and just to say, I'm absolutely delighted that it's you and not Brian Adams. <laughs> well, actually, Brian Adams did play a game for, we had a, in between the original Whitecaps and the current Whitecaps, we had uh, a, a team that played in the lower league called the Vancouver 86ers. And Brian Adams is a huge uh, soccer fan. He's a season ticket holder at Chelsea. And he used to watch the original Whitecaps. So um, I connected with him and I said, did, did you want to come out? And he said, yeah, can, but can I play? And I said, yeah, sure. It was a friendly match we were playing. And uh, he ended up playing and he scored a goal on a penalty shot. And uh, wow. so 
so there is a, a connection, albeit uh, uh, an extension of, of Reading and, and into yeah. my other career with the Let's, Caps. let's get Brian Adams on as well. What do you reckon? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you can bring, and, and Sporty Spice as well. Yeah, we'll see. We're, we've we've got a few celebrities. We've we've had we, we've actually had a musician on. We have Martin Ware from Heaven Seventeen, who's a mm-hmm. Chef Wednesday fan. But he had a funny experience to tell us about about a Reading game he attended. So that that was right. good to get him on, and he sang a bit of you know one of their most famous songs. So that was good. Nice. Uh, we, we like to do things a bit differently, Bob. But um, before I speak to you, Bob, I just want to ask Johnny a question. So, Johnny, there are eight players named either Bob or Bobby to have played for Reading, Bob Lenardotsi being one of them. Um, can you name any of the other seven Bobs or Bobbies who've played for Reading? Even if you manage one. Even if you manage one, that's fine. Well, of course, Bobby Convey. Bobby Convey is correct. Anyone else? Uh, the way things are going, we probably could be having Bob the Builder playing on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> um, Bob, 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 Bob. Bob, Bob, no, it wasn't Bobby Campbell, was there? Bobby uh... Campbell is correct. Very. Oh, geez, Back in the uh... Bobby Campbell, Bobby Campbell, the Irish Irish striker. Uh, I, I haven't done enough Bob... research to know how to answer. That. Well, he played. He played with the Whitecaps, actually. If yeah. it's, if wow. it's the same Bobby Campbell, we certainly Bobby have Ta- played with Bobby Campbell. Bobby Tamlin, mm-hmm. Tamlin, is that right? No, no. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put, put you out of your misery. I'll put you out of your misery. Bobby Williams. Oh yes, ah, yes. Joined in Reading. Uh, joined Reading in 1969. Uh, there's a player called Bobby Eyre in the 50s. A player called Bobby Hunt in the 70s. <sighs> My dad. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Hazel in the 80s. Oh, of course, yeah. Might remember him. And actually called Bobby, but this was his nickname, Bobby Mihailov. So Boris Mihailov, who was known as Bobby. So and Wiggy. Yeah, and, and other things besides. So look. Um, Bob, by way of an introduction to you, you were born in Vancouver. You've played for Vancouver Whitecaps and other sides in Vancouver as well. Uh, you played for the Canadian national team, of course, and you currently work for Vancouver Whitecaps now as club liaison officer. Uh, and you were, as I said before, the first Canadian to play for Reading. You played for the Roars between 1970 and I think it was 1976. Correct me if I've got that wrong. And you made more than 70 appearances for the club. And you actually told me in our correspondence when we were were arranging this that you were an apprentice at Reading at the same time as Steve Hetsky, really popular player for Reading back in the day. And actually, you, you said that he went out on loan at Vancouver Whitecaps for one season. So my first question to kick this off, Bob, is how do you go... You know, how do you end up going from Vancouver Whitecaps to Reading? How did that all come about? Just before I answer that, I actually think there is one other Canadian player that that played at Reading, and he was actually prior to me. Uh, his name is Barry Keating, and uh, he was there for a, a, I think a season. And um, so you might want to look up your in the archives to see if uh, if he's if he was on the roster. Uh, well. Uh, not well before me, but just before me. Anyways, my... Um, well, Bob, can I ask you, did you say Barry Keating? Keating, K-E-A-T-I-N-G. And it was B-A-R-R-Y, was it? Because I'm just yes. I'm just looking. It's not coming up on my ah. 
Reading FC former players database, but you okay. might you might be right. I don't know. Maybe played for the reserves or something. But uh, could have done. Yes, you, yes. You, um, it might be that the database is wrong. So yeah. um, anyway, so possibly right. possibly you okay. were second then. Yeah, possibly. I, it, it would be better to be the first, but I yeah. don't mind being the second either if right. Barry played there before. So just wanted to to make that uh, make that clear. So I I was. 14 years old and was uh, had had been um, promoted from youth soccer to um, to a semi-professional league. It was called the Western Canada League. Um, and and uh, my two older brothers both played with the team. And uh, I, I, I know that the saying I, I used to hear the saying a lot when I was uh, in England, that if you're good enough, you're old enough. And so at 14, I was playing up. I was uh, I was I was learning the the school of hard knocks on the physical side because that was the biggest uh, adaption that that I needed to make, but it was good for me. And so uh, that in that summer, and speaking of of um, Brian Adams, the, the, the his song this summer, and this came to me this morning in the summer of '69. Well, in the summer of '69, that was a big song for him, and that's when I. That's my was my first uh, visit to to Reading with my older brother Sam. So uh, what had happened was Jack Mansell uh, was the coach of the team at that time, and he was uh, a friend of the gentleman that owned uh, the, the the Spartans at that time, uh, a fellow by the name of Bob Christopher, and he came over for a, uh, a holiday, and he came out to one of the training sessions, and and he said to to Bob, he said. Uh, who's that referring to me and, and how old is he? And, and uh, Bob, you know, uh, let him know. And he said, Oh, he said, he, he looks like he could be a player. So he said, I wonder if he'll, he'd like to come to, to Reading and just see how it goes. So that happened and uh, that discussion happened. And then it, it um, filtered through to me and, my first response was, when do I get on the plane? Like, I'm ready to go because I wanted to be a professional soccer player from the time I could think. And so um, the, the, the obstacle were my parents because they had immigrated from Italy in, uh, in the 50s. And they wanted to give their kids a chance at a, a better life here in, in Canada. And um, now here I was going back to them saying, I want to go back the other way because I want to pursue a professional career at 14. It's not like England here. You go to school till you're 18. Um, and so I had a lot of years left of, of secondary school. Anyways, we came to a, a, an agreement and uh, my brother came with me, who was a very good player and also played for Canada. And that would have been in the summer of 69. Uh, and I arrived. Dennis Allen picked me up at the airport, Heathrow Airport, and or picked us up. And we had the, the ride of our lives because, first of all, we're on the other side of the road. And second of all, everybody drives like a maniac in, in, uh, in England. So uh, we, we got uh, safely got to, to Reading and um, I ended up breaking my ankle. Uh, and funnily enough, not at a Reading session, but uh, at the park up the road from, from the old Elm Park which is a big park. I can't remember the name of it. Now I can see it. But uh, in fact, we used to train there sometimes. I, I twisted my ankle and unfortunately I broke it. 
came back home and uh and then the decision was okay well they and they had seen me at that point and were prepared to offer me a, an apprentice contract and then at that stage i um i i had to make up my mind my brother wasn't going to come back and i needed to figure out for myself okay do i go it's a big leap i'm going to i'm going to leave my education behind and and actually i didn't leave my education behind i would i took a book of a box of books that were a course correspondence courses that would have given me the equivalent to what I would have had if I'd stayed here, but I never opened the box of books. So that was, uh, that ended up, you know, being a big mistake on my part, but I was, I was chasing the dream. So, and then after that, I played a couple of games in the first team in the early year. I think I, I played at 15, played a few at 16. Then I had one season where I had a, a pretty good run of games and uh, then when the Whitecaps started up, ironically enough, and we were talking about Steve Hetzke earlier, I came back uh, on loan to the Whitecaps for two seasons. And then I just decided, you know what, I, yeah, this, it's been a good run. Uh, my dream was to, to play in the first division, no premiership at that time. And, um, and the Whitecaps have started up. And so I just thought, okay, you know what, it's time to, to get serious about the rest of my life, assuming that there would be another career path that I'd have to take. Thankfully, yeah, I'm still in the game at the age of 67 and uh, and still loving every minute of it. That's that's fantastic. And and Johnny, I'm gonna gonna bring you in now, but um, I, I just want to firstly sort of mention there. You said about Dennis Allen and another Reading legend, uh, the father of Martin Allen, who we've we've had on as a guest, and Martin's a fantastic character. Um, so. What we really like about this podcast, and I'm sure Johnny will agree, is just just some great stories and 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 hearing your story, Bob. And you know, I know that that Johnny's got plenty of questions. I'm sure he wants to ask you. Actually, on just on that note too, you mentioned Bobby Williams earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I have to say that when I came to when I got to Reading. I was I was always of the opinion that when you're when you're a young player, you just keep your mouth shut and you you don't you don't create problems that that um, that you don't need to. So I was very quiet. But I have to say that that the the senior players there at that time were great. And and Bobby Williams was was one of the uh, one of the best, very soft spoken and arm around the shoulder and you know just just always checking in and making sure that I was okay the other guy was and I it's it's crazy because I was watching a Netflix special on Torquay United and the coach of that team was Stuart Morgan and I I remember thinking to myself that guy looks familiar until I until they've actually uh, put his name up on the screen and and I thought oh my god it's Stuart Morgan he was great too Uh, he was someone that uh Again, was always checking in on me. So, you know, I, I was lucky that because um, it, it could have easily been what, a Canadian that you're supposed to be playing ice hockey. You know, what are you doing here playing soccer? And there weren't many of us in uh, in England at that time. But, you know, I can probably count three that 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 there were there. Now, different story. Canadians are popping up all over the world. Yeah, and Johnny, I I, I will bring you in in a second. But you mentioned Bobby Williams there, um, Bob, and. Uh, my my father Brian Roach passed away last year as a former Reading director, and Bobby Williams was um, kind enough to come to my dad's funeral. So so that was really good. Oh wow! wow. He's, he's been in 
you know, he's been involved in, in Reading a long time and uh, held in very high regard. So that's actually the lot, you know, I saw Bobby Williams last, last year at my dad's funeral. So um, yeah, just uh, a lovely man held in very high regard. So, so Johnny, I'll kind of let you take over for a little bit now. I'm sure you've got plenty of questions. Yeah, definitely. Well, I say some of the folks that listen to this podcast or watch us on YouTube weren't even born when you played for us. Right. What, <laughs> like, what was it like back then, back in the early 70s, you know, living in Reading, playing at Elm Park? Can you kind of give us like a, a set the scene for people that wouldn't have any idea what it was like and, you know, and at the ground? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, ironically enough, the, uh, the, 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 um, the journey started when I uh, when I arrived at Heathrow and got off the plane and was all set to go and went to customs and they said, where's your work permit? I didn't have a work permit. <laughs> they said, well, you're not getting in. And I thought to myself, oh, no, here we go. It's, this isn't a good start. And they were going to send me back home. Thankfully, I, I got a uh, and I and I kept my mouth shut and was polite and didn't didn't lose it. Uh, and thankfully, I got a an understanding customs officer that said, "Okay, well, we'll we'll let you in, but you need to sort this out." And and we did. So that was a bit of a scare right off the bat. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, for for me as an apprentice, I can honestly say that, that um, I actually believe that it was, I may have not been going to school formally, but I was going to school informally because I was realizing, understanding hierarchy and, you know, and where you are in the hierarchy. And, and as an apprentice, you're probably at the bottom of the list of, of the hierarchy. So I remember another, another guy that just, I love and, and uh, we'll ask about is, is Gordon Neat. Uh, the equipment or the um, the groundskeeper, yeah. and uh, so he was our boss off the pitch. And it was Steve and Steve Hetsky and I and Andy Andy Proudlove, Alan Cooper were the apprentices. And so I had no idea when I when I before I was going, and even when I got there and I turned up on the first day, I was led to the boot room and and at at the old M Park and told, okay, you know, these this row of boots here and this row of boots here. Uh, and I'm thinking, wait, what's he going to tell me? They're, they're my boots and they're my size. And then they said, well, these are the these are the boots that you're going to make sure after every training session, you make sure you dust them off and and get all the mud uh, away from the cleats and, and shine them up and put them back. So when the next day the first team guys arrive, their boots are shining. And I'm thinking, whoa, this is like, this is a whole different thing that I wasn't expecting. And then the next one was, and for a, a guy coming from from Canada, um, I, I was taken into the where the the shower and the baths are, and 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 there's one big communal bath, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, and they said this is your responsibility as well. You need to clean out the baths after the training sessions, and I I thought, wow, like this is this is really it's getting worse, and then the topper on all that was. Uh, that after a first team game, after the first first team game that I was at, um, on the, the the Monday morning after the session, after the game had finished on the Saturday, I come in, we train in the morning, and then I get back and I'm ready to go. And Gordon says, oh, no, 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 you, you've, you've got a job to do. And so I get my broom. I'm given my broom and out onto the terraces and we're, and we're sweeping the terraces. So 
those at the time I wasn't really overly excited about doing all those things, <laughs> but I have to say that what it did do was it 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 made me appreciate um, that yeah before you get to and and it's one of the biggest issues now even at at our club and and I think globally and a societal issue that I think most kids when they get to a stage whatever profession they want to they want to they want to be in, they want to get to the top before they, they pay the dues. And I actually feel like it was a bit archaic, but it certainly uh, provided me with a real good life's lesson on cake. Okay, yeah. If you want to get there, then these are the things you need to do to get there. So that was that. So uh, the, the playing side, um, I remember that we, we actually trained at that park that I'm referring to that I can't remember. We used to walk up there because we didn't have a training facility at the time. The place that we used to go to, and I'll test your guys' memory here, is Adwest, which uh, which was a pretty good drive out to, to, to where we were training. But it was a, a couple of nice pitches. And we did that for a couple of years. And so but we were always gypsies in terms of where we were training. And then the playing side, yeah, that was the best part. Uh, and when I made my, my first team debut, I, it was against uh, Colchester, I think. And uh, it was it was around the time that they beat Leeds in the FA Cup um, and, and a shocker. And uh, and I got a few games in, but I, I got the bug and I, I really was excited about you know cracking the first team at whatever age. And, and again, I can't remember, but I, I think it was probably three years in where I I actually had of the 42, whatever, 44 games that were played, I think I had you know, upwards of, of 30, 35. So I had a good run that season. And, um, and then after that, it was more like spot duty. And, and that's when I decided it was, it was time to, um, to look at the rest of my life and figure out what I was going to do with it. And what were some of the characters in that first team that you, you gelled with? I mean, I, I think, well, oh. from my memory, Eamon Dunphy was there with you. Eamon Dunphy. Funnily enough, Eamon Dunphy was, was, he was there and (laughs) he was like a cartoon character because he, he would, he would come in for training and he'd come, I think he was in London at the time and he'd come in for for training on, on the train. He'd be reading, he'd have his paper, he'd get to the, the ground, put his boots on, go out and was, and clearly he, it was a, a sign of things to come. Because he's a, he's a, I think he's a, he's a very significant journalist right now, and he's 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 got opinions, and I think he he probably uh, creates a lot of discussion, a lot of which will agree with him, and and uh, most which won't. So I don't think he minds that though. But funnily enough, that's a, that's another story that's just a, an unbelievable connection. That when I arrived, when I got back to Vancouver in the in the nineteen eighty. Uh, our coach was John Giles, the, the 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 Leeds legend. Our assist, or one of the players we had at that time, was Peter Lorimer, uh, and David Harvey was in goal, and Terry Yorath was playing with us. So it was it was like a who's who of that old Leeds United squad. But we also had other players that I had watched play on um, on on match of the day. Match of the day was the Saturday night, I think, was it? And then Sunday was. What was the Sunday? Brian Moore on the Sunday. It was big match. Uh, 
the big match. That's right. Yes. And I, I, I used to live on the weekend for those those two moments other than when you're playing. So anyways, I, I'm at training uh, and I look up and I think, oh, that guy looks familiar. And John Giles is sitting up there. We're finished the training session and I come up and it's none other than Eamon Dunphy. He's at, he's at the training session and we have a nice long chat. And uh, but, uh, you know, and I often hear about Eamon Dunphy now uh, as a result of, of his opinions. And uh, it's always it's always good reading. And so just as far as other characters, the, the guy that and he, he was like my older brother, just a guy that that did did his job, kept quiet. Um, and he, he kind of spoke when he felt like speaking and I know he's passed on now, but Steve death was, uh, and, and also another guy that, that, uh, although he wasn't, he wasn't the most outgoing of people. I do remember that he, he, uh, he would also, cause I think they knew I was a long way from home and, and he would also do his fair share of, of checking in and, and chatting and, but, uh, great goalkeeper. I mean, he's when you talk about goalkeepers now being able to play out of the back with their feet, I think he was way ahead of his time because in the five asides, this is another memory I have that that won't mean much to people. But on Fridays was other than game days, it was the most it was the most uh, anticipated day because what would happen is we would uh, we'd play a five aside and we'd go up to the back of the on the opposite side of the changing rooms and the main grandstand. And at the top of that terracing, there was a, a, a concourse and it was just big enough for a good five aside. And that was that was probably the most enjoyable part of of uh, of the week leading up to the game. And he would play in those games and he was always the best player and he would always be scoring a lot of goals. So I, I think he was a keeper, at, obviously a keeper, but he was he was more of an outfield player at heart, but a really solid guy. And then there's Robin Friday. Uh-huh. And I, I don't, I had, a, I had a good chunk of time with him too. I think it was a couple of years when he arrived and then he, then he took off. But I remember I actually set up a goal that he scored. And I think we were at, of all places, Workington, which is the, I think it's on the border of Scotland, right? It's called, it, it, yeah. So we were there and I sent a cross in from the right. I was playing right back that game. I got four and I sent a cross in. And uh, it was a, it was going it was swinging away from Robin, and he he it was a, it was going to be a diving header, but he wasn't going to get there, and he knew it, and he came out to the side of his this here and punched it, and it went in, and he gets up and he's <laughs> celebrating the goal, and we're all celebrating, and I I actually got to him to say, hey, great, nice goal, and uh, I said, did you hit that in with your hand? He said, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, but. It's a goal, and it's good. <laughs> the original hand of God. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Was he was he that off the pitch? Like, did you ever manage to socialize and last the night out with him? Oh yeah, yeah. No, we would we would go into town, and um, he was he was much like what he was on the pitch. He was a real free spirit, carefree guy, and uh, just beat to his own drum. And uh, I think that was one of the reasons why he was as good as he was, but it might also be one of the reasons why, you know, that, that career didn't go where it, it, it should have gone because of his ability. I read the book actually um, by the 
the lead singer of what band was it? The, uh, the greatest player that never was. What was the name of the story? Um, Paolo Hewlett and uh, the guy Bonehead from Oasis. Yes, that's right. Book. Yeah. And the yeah. name of the book was The Greatest Player You Never Saw, I think. Yeah. Greatest that... Football You Never Saw. Yeah. And um, when, when he got, and I was, I was, I had left by the time he, he'd been, um, I think Cardiff, um, uh, paid to paid to to get him to the club and 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 I, that, apparently that didn't work so well and and I do think too that and I remember Charlie Hurley being um, being you know being having uh, made comments in the book about how he managed him and and he was he was in terms of the man management side I I think he dealt with him well and I think he knew that. Also, too, whatever Robin was going to do, he was going to do. So you needed just to try to manage that side of it. But uh, I mean, in terms of of ability, yeah, he, he had he had as as good of ability as as any player I've seen. Um, but loved loved all of life too much to uh, to just channel all of his energies into that. Yeah, Bob, I just wanted to to ask you to elaborate on that really with with Robin Friday because obviously a lot of people you know won't be old enough to have seen him play but would have heard about him now he he's been he's sort of been compared over the years as as the sort of the the George best of of Reading that that kind of level of yeah so where would you um I'm not saying if he was playing now because that's like a difficult thing to think about but my question really is how good was he because obviously Reading were in the lower divisions back then but he's widely regarded as one of the the greatest players you you never saw as per the book title you know how how good of a player was he really well he's the kind of player that I think when I speak from the point of view of I when I watch the game um, I like watching uh, a game and in particular players that you know, do the unexpected. And uh, he could, he could do that. And he did it virtually game. He'd always do something in a game that you, you looked at and you thought, wow, like that was, that was really impressive. And most of us couldn't do. So I, I just based on that alone, I, I think he's the kind of guy that would put bums in seats. And I know at that time when he started to, when he arrived, where did he come from? Did he come from Hay? Hay what was his, his non-league club? Was it Hayes? United, uh, yeah. Johnny, I think so. that sounds about right. It yeah, was, it was Hayes, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they played yeah, against him in the cup tie, didn't they? And then That's right, and I there. played in that cup tie as well. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's uh, when he arrived, it was kind of an unknown, but clearly, probably having played against him, the the management team figured, okay, you know, this is a guy we should we should invest in, and and then when he got there, he just took off he was scoring great goals uh, I mean even even the I, I remember him making slide tackles and there's not many forwards that like making slide tackles but he would work his ass off to to try to win the ball back as well um, and, and in terms of where would he fit into the, uh, the not even the current game but where would he fit in I, I think if he had had and I, I mean, I, I hesitate to use the word discipline because, uh, in his mind, he was disciplined. And, and and but as far as just making the game uh, that he played a priority 
and you know the the social side and the uh, life outside of the stadium and the people that wanted to be around him. And if, if he could have managed that side better, I, I think uh, the the sky was would have been the limit. And but you know I I think he he probably if he were around now he'd tell you I wouldn't have, I won't I wouldn't do it any differently. I'd be I'd be doing exactly the same thing. And um, you live your life to the fullest. And in his his mind that was that was to the fullest and who are others to to say well you were wrong because if he had a great if he enjoyed his life he enjoyed his life and bob just talking about your time as a player at, at reading so for people who are not really aware of of that time what it was you know johnny asked you what it was like back then so sort of tell people what uh you know what formation did reading used to play in those days did did you play in the same position what position was that uh, what was the sort of system and how did you fit into that? Yeah. Well, we didn't have the Christmas tree back then. That, that wasn't a formation. Uh, it, it was, it was pretty basic. Um, it was a four, four, two. I don't know if we ever played with three at the back. Uh, Cause I, that wasn't, that wasn't something that was being done at, at the higher levels. And normally it's, in, in 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 the sport of soccer, it's normally the, the the teams that have success that dictate you know what the others are going to do. Well, if they're doing it, then we need to be doing it. And I think sometimes that that's actually um, counterproductive. Like to me, right now, when I see teams, when I see the goalkeeper put the ball down in the six yard box for a goal kick, and I see two center backs standing right beside him, and they play the ball to the center back. I don't get it. Like, I, I mean, I know you want to try to play out of the back, but it's like, it's almost like, a, especially if you don't have the players and you try to emulate what the ones that are doing it do, you don't have that ability. And it's, it, it's one where, okay, do you really need to do that? Let, let's just get everybody forward and, and knock it long. So, um, but so four four two, I played as a, for the most part, as a fullback, as a center back, played some games in the middle of the park, uh, I think I scored a few goals. Uh, I remember two of them. And I think, is that it too? Probably. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've got the, yeah. Well, again, yeah. Ac- according to the, um, the Reading FC former players database, it was two goals. Two goals. And uh, let me see. I, the, those two goals were, one was against Scunthorpe and the other was against, and I remember running from, from the halfway line. We, and I was in midfield and we, we were on a break and I got ahead of the guy that was marking me. And I think it was Dick Haben that actually took it to the end line and, and laid it on a platter for me. And had I missed, it would have been the miss of a lifetime. But so I, I just tapped it in. But I remember the two goals. Well, I wish there were more that I could uh, I could verbalize for you. But most of the time I was a defender. Yeah. So well, the, the in, in terms of systems. Yeah, it was it was pretty basic. And uh, and you all understood what your responsibilities were. Uh, overlapping fullbacks. I think that it was around the time where that was starting to become uh, what fullbacks should do, not just defend, but, but get themselves forward. And I, I enjoyed that as a, as a fullback. Um, and the coaches I had, uh, Jack, Jack Mansell didn't, I think he was gone into my first season uh, and he's the guy that brought me there. So I was panicking a bit after that. And then uh, Morris Evans, I think took over for a little bit and then Charlie Hurley came in and uh, Charlie Hurley was very good to me as well. Like um, <laughs> I always, and it would seem foreign that this could ever happen now, but 
our our pregame toast and coffee was at Charlie Hurley's house. Uh, we would we would arrive there and we would that's where we would meet uh, pregame. And it's one of those things that stuck in my head because we were watching the the television was on, and there was a, a hockey game on a National Hockey League game. And I looked and I I, I saw the uh, the emblem in the center ice circle, and it was the Vancouver Canucks. So they were that game was being played in Vancouver, and I was so pleased to be able to say to everybody, "Hey, stop! Look, that's and and I actually live or I grew up." a half a block away from that particular venue. So it was something for me that was like, wow, you know, imagine that we're all here and, and um, I'm able to, to, uh, to refer to, to where I come from. But uh, Charlie Hurley was, uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't know who Charlie Hurley was when he arrived, but I soon found out that uh, he was, he was the King of Roker Park. I think that's, that's the, the, the nickname. And, and he was, and I remember talking to John Giles about him when he was at the, John was, was coaching at the Whitecaps. And he said, oh, I said, he was the, he was the, the guy, the innovator of, of the center backs playing. It wasn't just woof it. It was get on the ball, play the play your way out of the back. And, and he was a big guy as well. And obviously very good in the air, but he, he seemed like what would be now the prototypical type center back. Cause everybody's expected to play now. And, even the keeper that that position has evolved to, you know, you're not worried about whether they can make saves or not. You're more worried about, can he play with his feet? And uh, so, yeah, the game has evolved a lot since then, but, um, but uh, I, yeah, just very, very fond memories of uh, Elm Park and, and Reading in general. Yeah. Well, I've got two more things that I'd like to talk to you about, and then I'll bring Johnny back in after. Sure. That. So the first one is that you came to Reading, um, so I think you signed at the end of 1970 in about the November, something like that. Does that sound about right uh, in terms? Of signed what? as a, signed as a as a as a professional. Yeah, was that yeah. right? Yeah, okay. yeah. I think I was an apprentice for the uh, maybe the one season because yeah, maybe yeah. one or two. I think I, I and you might know better. I, I can't remember, but when you are an apprentice, I think they can sign you. They have to sign you if you get to 17. Um, but they can sign you before that too, which would make sense because I was 15 and would have been 16 at that at that time. What what year was that again? So uh, it was uh, 71? late 1970. So I think it was late 1970. So according to what I've got in front uh, of me, no, you know what? You're, you're actually November right. 1970. Yeah, no, that would be right because I would have been 15 at that time, yeah. and so yeah, and then signed the the professional contract. A couple of years later. So yeah. what I wanted to ask you was um, the 70-71 season, um, Reading actually got relegated from what was Division 3 back then, what would be now League 1. Yeah. Right, into the fourth division. Yes. Back in the days, I think Aldershot was one of the local rivals uh, and, and that sort of thing. So then there was a few um, seasons in Division 4. Uh, which is now League Two, during your time at, at Reading. And then um, the 75-76 season, which I think was your last season, yeah. uh, you got you finished third and did you get... So you got promoted, didn't you? You finished third, got promoted. And I believe was, that was the case, yes. That was yeah. in, in yeah. your last season. Yeah. 
So what what was that like? Yes. Kind of, you know, have that experience of first season, you got relegated, and then the next few seasons, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of actually, I think, 72-73, uh, finished seventh, 73-74, finished sixth, following season seventh, and then the following season third and, and got promoted. So it felt like, you know, you were doing doing well for a few seasons. And of course, before there was Robin Friday, there was Gordon Cumming and Les Chappell and Les Chappell once, yes. I think, got 28 goals. Um, you know, what were some of the highlights in terms of whether it be players, games, memories? What what are some of the kind of key memories that, that you take from that? Um, well, actually... Not long after I arrived, and I'm trying to, you would probably know this because it was a, it was a very, I'm, I'm assuming a very famous match. But at that time, uh, they had the Watney Cup, which was, um, which was what the the highest goal scoring teams from each division would go in. And who are they playing? And my, my the first game I'm watching is Man United, and they're loaded up. Like It wasn't like they sent their, their second team. It was best. It was I, I believe it was best, but definitely Bobby Charlton, Alex Stepney in goal. I, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, wow, like this is this is great. Well, I never saw – I did see Arsenal. Uh, in fact, I was on the bench for that game against Arsenal in the FA Cup, um, and it was a competitive match. But So that was my first game, and it was probably something that um, – that I got overly excited about because it, it's it, after that type of opposition, then it, then it got to, okay, now it's the, the grind of, of the, of the fourth division at that time. And, uh, but the game against a man United was a very competitive match. Uh, after that. And, and after I made my debut, I, um, I remember one, one match very vividly. Uh, because I think we were competing with them to go up at that time. And it wasn't that, I can't remember what stage of the season it was, but it, it was against Colchester. And we had, I think there was 13, 14,000 people there, which would have been a pretty significant crowd for that, uh, for that time. And I remember it because I remember doing something that I thought was really, really special. And then I was involved in the equalizing goal that, that they scored. And I soon came back down to earth when I got back to the changing room. So the, the thing that I did was we were running, I was running back towards my own goal and they had the Colchester player had cut off the, the, the back pass. And so I was facing my own goal and I didn't have a lot of options. The safest thing to do would have been to play it into touch and regroup. But I looked across and I thought the right back was open, but it was a dangerous ball because if it gets cut out they're they're on their way to our goal you know, virtually uncontested. So I decided that I'd hit it. I looked, I, I looked down and I just whacked it across and it ended up in front of the fullback and he's now on the attack. And I remember thinking to myself, ah, that was good. I, I like that. Uh, towards the end of the game, we're one nil up and I was the striker uh, marking him tight and he managed to wriggle in the box and whacked it in the top corner. And uh, when we got back into the changing room, I, I believe it was Charlie. It would have been Charlie Hurley. Just tore a strip off of me and said, you know, how do you let that happen? Like we're winning one nil. All you need to do is just make sure you stand in front of him hitting the ball towards the goal. And uh, all I could do is 
put my hand up and acknowledge, yes, you're right, boss. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. So, but that uh, the in terms of crowds and the, the game against Reading or the game against Arsenal, I think was in the 76 or yes, 70, 73, 74. But the reason I remember that game well is because Alan Ball came to play with the Whitecaps in 1979 and he was playing in that game. And I remember watching him and thinking to myself, wow, like this guy, you know, he, he's not a specimen. He's a short guy and he's, he's, you know, his voice is squeaky and, and he's not going to run around all over the park, but he's, he was everywhere where he needed to be. And I, I really established quite a relationship with him. And so for me, I remember when I was, when I was 11 years old, waking up and watching England play, uh, West Germany in, in the, the cup final. And that, if I wanted to play professional soccer before that, that was like the, 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 the final piece to the puzzle to say, okay, I need to be a professional soccer. That was, that was the best game that I've ever watched. The goal that should have been, shouldn't have been by, by Jeff Hurst. Nobby Styles ended up being a coach, at, an assistant coach at the Whitecaps with, uh, um, with John Giles. And I, I, I remember talking to him about, seeing video of the Germany equalizer that um, that and he was in the wall and he had the, the missing teeth and and just thinking wow you know I, I watched this guy play and here he is and uh, he, he recalls that goal very well because they would have won the World Cup outright in regulation time but it ended up going to uh, to uh, overtime and, and England were successful uh, so um yeah, it, it's it's uh, it, it when I when I actually went to Reading, if I had been older and had more common sense, I would have never done it because it was a real risk to be taking leaving leaving school and taking a chance on something that you're an injury away from from being in a position where you don't have a lot of alternatives, but uh, thankfully I, I did. And, and, uh, and thankfully it, it led to a, it was, it was the basis for a career that, you know, I've enjoyed ever since. And, and Johnny, do you, uh, do you want to come in now? Ask yeah. uh, questions. Two, two things really. One, when you left Reading to go back home, did you regret that? Did you regret not, staying in England to continue your career? I, I, I had regret in my mind because I had no idea. At, at the time of uh, the Whitecaps starting up, we were getting, in a 32,000-seat in a venue, we were getting maybe two, 3,000 people. And so as that was evolving, I was thinking to myself, yeah, did I make the right decision, and is this going to last? And uh, um, and then our our first, uh, well, our, not our first coach, but um, Tony Waiters, um, who passed away a couple of years ago. He, he settled in Vancouver, but he was at Plymouth Argyle at the time, and he came over to coach the team. And his connection to England brought in players that, again, I was watching on on the weekends match of the day. And, and we, and, and so it was Phil Parks. It was uh, Roger Kenyon, John Craven, all players that Mark, you'd probably remember, I would think, but uh, maybe not so much you, Johnny, but uh, I, I, uh, 
I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, this is going in a different direction now. Now I'm, I'm playing with guys that, you know, I was worshiping when I, when I was sitting at Reading watching the, the, you know, the, the two broadcasts over the weekend. And then things started to take off. And by the time we, we got to 1979, uh, we, were, we were playing in front of 32,000 people a game. And then we moved into a new stadium in downtown Vancouver that uh, we were the first sporting event and we had 60,000 at. So for those 10 years, it, it just went from being literally nothing and looking like it was going was gonna to go under to just taking off. But, <laughs> excuse me, ironically enough, there was a five-year ascent from 74 to 79. And that was the height of it. And then the next five years, we had 24 teams. We lost five teams a year. And we were down to nine teams left in the league. And the league folded in 19, uh, 1984. And that's where the scrambling started. You know, how do I stay in the game? And uh, every time I thought that I was going to have to get a real job, because I didn't ever consider what I did a real job. It was what I did as a kid. And now I'm getting paid a few bucks for it. So uh, I, I thought I was going to have to go out there into the real world. And every time I, I thought I would, was going to, uh, something would come up. And I, I stayed involved as a player coach, as a coach, as a, a coach for the national team uh, for two, two, um, two cycles. And, uh, and then went into the front office, was the GM was the president up until 2018 and now still involved as a, a club liaison and assisting you know, different departments within the club. So yeah, if someone had said, can you, can you see that evolution when I was at Reading? I would have said, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> so all did, good. did you, did you ever play against George Best in the American I did. League? Yes, I did. When he did was you- at uh, the Los Angeles Aztecs was the in 1974 actually, and uh, I remember the one thing that that uh, that I saw firsthand was he had a he could he could get stuck in if he had to like he was a, a, a the, the goal that is embedded in my mind and, and maybe you can, if you haven't seen it go on to to YouTube he scored against Sheffield United when they got promoted and he, and he dribbled through like five or six guys and then just finished it clinically. Um, but our, the guy, the, when he played on, on the right in that game, we, we had a left back that, that was whacking him. Like thought, okay, I better just try to slow him down and not get a run on me. And he never, never really um, showed that he was pissed off or anything, but our goalkeeper, and I think he, he, he kind of set it up because he was a long way off the fullback, so he was clearly on to throw the ball to, and, and the goalkeeper threw it out. And whilst the ball's making its way to Bruce Wilson, who was the left back, um, he started his run, and he, he leapt into him, both feet in the air, and thankfully Bruce saw him coming because he jumped. But if he had been planted, I'm, I'm sure he would have broken his leg. And I thought, woof. Okay, yeah, you uh, you can play, but you can also you can also get stuck in when you want to. I also played against Pelé when he came to finish up his career in, in wow. at the New York Cosmos, and he was the same. Like he would he would take it to a point, but then he'd he'd also he'd also at some point say, "Okay, you're giving it to me. I'm going to give it back to you." That's been an amazing time because it was huge, wasn't it? 
It, it just like I said that the Cosmos we were playing at at uh, in New York and there were seventy seventy seven thousand people at the game. It was sold out, but it was all built on um, on uh, it was lightning in a bottle. It just took off. Pele Pele coming got it to another level. Um, I mean, players that played in the Dutch national team. We had players that were playing here that. Um, Johan Cruyff. I, I played against Johan Cruyff, and and actually Beckenbauer, absolutely, yeah. And Johan Cruyff, I I I I'm going to brag here because I I was I had we were playing against them, and he came to to close me down, and we, I was facing my own goal, and I didn't have a lot of options, but he had his legs wide open, and I and I actually thought, well, I can put it through his legs, and I did. I didn't say anything. I kept my mouth shut because I thought, no, nah, you don't mock someone like that. But I was quite, and I asked others after, did you see that? Like I put the ball through Christ's legs. Yeah, that was impressive. Um, but yeah, it was a time where the league was attracting the best players. I mean, the irony is we had no competition. The NASL at that time had no competition because it hadn't, the Asian market, the Middle Eastern market, they hadn't, if they were doing what they were doing now, those players would have ended up somewhere else because they would have paid them way more money. Uh, but at that time, if you're coming out of England or coming out of Europe and, and you're coming to the United States, I mean, yes, we're in Canada, but we always get lumped in with the United States. So you're coming to uh, a league, you're coming to a, a country and there countries that, you know, would be great to see and and at the same time you're playing at a competitive level but uh, as as good as the cosmos were and as much money as they spent everyone else tried to keep up with the joneses and it wasn't corresponding to bums and seats and of course then teams start folding now i can tell you mls is never going away mls is going to continue to get stronger and stronger we when we uh when we joined mls and to 2009 um the price tag was 33 million and people thought our owners were crazy like you're paying 33 million for a, a franchise our franchise now is is um we don't have the benefits of a lot of other venues where they have their own stadiums so they get the 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 the, the revenue from parking concessions and um but ours is worth it's upwards of, of 400,000 uh, or 400 million now so it's a, it, and there's only a couple of spots left before the expansion stops. We're at 30, and it's I think it'll go to 32, much like the other North American professional sports leagues. And uh, and then at that stage, the franchise values are going to go even higher because you're not going to be able to get one unless you get an existing one. Yeah, and Bob, I just just want to firstly say that um, you know when we look back on this 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 podcast episode. One of the highlights will definitely be your story about how you nutmegged Johan Cruyff. So thank you. <laughs> about that. Um, but um, what I wanted to ask you is obviously, you know, I said in my introduction, you played for Canada. Obviously, you mentioned that that you managed Canada and you were managing Canada at the time, you know, when uh, Dylan, our co-host, who isn't with us um, tonight, um, he was helping Reading get promoted and then, Reading went so close to getting in the Premier League. And at that time, you were managing Canada. Mm. And of course, you know, Canada get to the, the World Cup. Reading have got Junior Hoylet um, for the women, Deanne Rowe. Mm. How, how, give us a sense of, 
firstly, how big that was for Canada to, to achieve what they did achieve. And also, you know, what, what do people in Canada think of Junior Hoylet? And, you know, do you know uh, the same question with Deanne Rose as well? Um, but I know that Junior Hoylet is, obviously, you, you mentioned earlier, Canada is like soccer, football is, is not like the main sport there, but it's kind of a, a big deal, right? So um, mm. Junior Hoylet is... It, you know how big of a star is he in Canada, and how big of a deal was was the World Cup for Canada? Well, as far as Junior Harlan and uh, Deanna Rose, I think I think the women's game and, and our women's team won the, the the gold medal at the the past Olympics. They're going to this World Cup. They're ranked sixth in the world. Um, I know the, the the coach very well, and she's excited about uh, about their chances. So that our as an example, the representation uh, in in youth soccer across the country, I believe that the women's game now is more than fifty percent of of the playing population, which is incredible and not surprising. Um, but and and there will be a women's league starting up in two thousand twenty five that. Our club have uh, have committed to. Uh, there's two two uh, cities that have committed: Vancouver and uh, and Calgary. But there will be there will likely be eight by the time it starts up. There's a lot of interest in it. So, um, and the fact that women are going and playing abroad, and the fact that those opportunities now exist, um, I think the women's game is on a, a a huge upwards trajectory with with the way that things are going. So um and as far as the men's side goes uh, you know what if if um if we if if the, the penalty Alfonso Davies penalty and by the way a a white caps uh, graduate from our development program we sold him to Bayern Munich um if he had scored the penalty I don't think we. it was a question of we would have won against Belgium. I think it would have been how many were we going to win by. I was sitting watching, and I could not believe how aggressive and how well we were playing and how they couldn't get out of their end. And the penalty was early. So if it goes in, I think it's like, whoa, you know, this, this, is, this is a win. To me, that was the pivotal point in the whole of the tournament for, for Canada. Uh, and then we come out against Croatia. And it's it's incredible. Like we're 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 dominating. We get the first goal, but Croatia were a, a group of seasoned pros, and uh, clearly their their uh, reputations had been had been hurt by by the comment that John Herdman made. But you know, I, I think John John made the comment and, and realized pretty quickly that, okay, maybe I should have framed that differently, but regardless, it, it wound them up and they didn't, I don't think they needed winding up, but I, I thought that what it did was it provided a basis for 2026 and Vancouver are one of the, the cities that are, that are hosting. My hope is that we get the, the Canadian boys playing out of here. It'll be one of two countries. It'll be Toronto or Vancouver and, my hope is that is that we get that. I don't think both of the both of the cities will will feature in that because they um, it's just too great a distance distance and it, there's there's time differences. Um, and Junior Hoylet, like I, I'm familiar, and anybody that that knows the game, uh, and there are a lot of people that do, but most that that were tuning in for the World Cup were like, ah, there's a lot 
there's a lot of excitement around this group of players. Don't know a lot about it, but let's watch. Um, but most of the players that have been watching realize that uh, he has a great pedigree. And, uh, and I was excited to see that, that uh, a, a player from Reading was, uh, you know, the club that I played for way, way back was, uh, was a part of the Canadian squad. So, uh, and he, he's, uh, he's the kind of player that I think when we got to the World Cup in 1986, uh, and I was a part of that, like we were very much reliant on making sure that we didn't give the other team uh, you know, a lot of time and space and, and we're very solid defensively, uh, but we didn't have, and, and that's with all due respect to the, because it, it, it's not just the attacking players, it's the whole 11 that determines how well you attack. But when you look at the pieces that we've got now and, and the pieces that we're continuing to add, uh, I, 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 we're never not going to qualify for another World Cup, especially when it goes from, 32 to 48. I mean, that's in CONCACAF, that's got to be six to go. And we've always got to be in that six. And, and because we're, we're a better group of players, because of the infrastructure we have in the game now that we never had way back, um, I think the sky's the limit for, for, uh, for Canada. And it's a very exciting time for the game. Uh, and, and Bob, just we're sort of coming to the end now, but there's a couple more questions that I, that I do want to ask you. So you, you touched on it there. You, you played... Uh, Canada got to the 1986 World Cup finals. Um, you you played for Canada, obviously. You were part of the Canadian team that um, qualified for the, well, got to the quarterfinals of the 1984 Olympics. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you managed Canada. Um, but where did, and you're, you know, you're Canadian, you, you played something like 300 games for Vancouver White, White caps, I think. Um, but where does, in terms of your uh, foot career in football, you know, how fondly do you remember your time at Reading as part of that? So, how, you know, how big of a time in your life was your time at Reading? Very, very, very big. Um, because I, I honestly believe for the things I talked about at the start of the podcast, the grounding that, uh, and, and I came, I come from an Italian background, an Italian family and, and it, there's discipline is, is a part of growing up like, and, and, uh, so I think I had a great base, uh, as a result of that, but going to Reading and having to fend for yourself, uh, well, having to fend for yourself, Mrs. Bull and, and Dorothy were my landladies uh, at 68 Groveland's Road. And um, you know, I have fond memories, both have, have since passed, but uh, I actually had uh, Dorothy visit me a couple of years after I got back to Vancouver. Um, and she spent about a month uh, at our, at our house. So even those types of things, my mom and dad were on their way to Italy and they stopped off in England. They wanted to see where I was living and, and they, they felt a lot better leaving than, than when they were coming. Cause they knew that I was in good hands. So it was a very um, uh, influential time in my life. So don't forget the soccer, but, but just, just, appreciate that you know i'm 15 years old and i'm i'm now uh fending for myself and have have was provided with a good uh a good uh solid base where i was living what i was eating 
Um, the club were great to me. So I actually can think I can look back on that. And, and I also knew, I mean, if, if, if I needed any, um, any uh, help in the, from the point of view of, of, the the physical side of the game, I got it at Reading because the third, fourth division, you know, you compete. You compete first, and then after that, if you've got the skillful players, they'll get you to where you need to get to. So, you know, if I thought going there, yeah, you just go play and you look good. Well, you know, that was quickly, quickly eliminated from my thought process, and and so that aspect of it, the whole compete side, um, the 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 what I learned from you know the senior players and another guy is John Hume who was um I think he was the captain um at one point and just just a, a, like a, a very uh, mature older person that that played and and was seeing out the end of his career but I, I remember him too you know providing me with a lot of insight as to into you know how I could be better both on the pitch and and off the pitch so I couldn't have had a better grounding unorthodox absolutely like uh, you know if someone if I said to someone hey I'm going to send you to to England you're going to go play a Reading for five years and it's going to be a great uh, learning tool for you for as you move forward I think I probably got would have got some pushback on that but for me um, just wonderful, wonderful memories. And, and this is actually, uh, this, this podcast is something that allows me to, to actually talk about it because I can't talk about it to, uh, to, I can talk about it. My, both my kids know that, that in fact, my, my daughter, believe it or not, is pregnant and she's due in, in July. And one of the names she's considering is Redding but not R-E-A-D-R-E-D-D-I-N-G, but it's a tribute to where I was. So that's how much <laughs> they know about it and, and because I've talked about it so much. Wow. Oh, fantastic. And Johnny, do you want to finish with the last question? I don't know after that, really. How can you, oh, you, right. name, your daughter, <laughs> after you name your daughter after a wedding? Yes. To be honest, it's just lovely to hear you talk about your, your time and your fond memories of a club that... You know, I don't know if you do. You, do you still follow the team now? And and yes, I do. At? Yeah, I look. I look for the results all the time. Yeah. And what do you? Yeah. I, I know you've, very, you've kept you a long time. What do you make of it? Where we where we're at? Which is not pleasant viewing. No, it's not. But I mean, I can honestly tell you that, uh, and it it didn't make a difference to me referencing my time at Reading. But when they got to the Premiership, uh, like, ha, huh, you know, <laughs> I played there. I, I I also was honest and I said I played there where when they were in the fourth division, but that's my club. So, uh, and you said you had did you have Steve Koppel on just recently? Yep. Did you say yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's impressive, and because he obviously was the guy that was the architect uh, of a lot of that, and uh, a very very good player in his day. So, um, I'm honored to to have actually uh, been in his company on this podcast. No, well, the the honours all all ours, Bob, and and, and thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate you you coming on. So a big thank you to you. It's my pleasure. And when I I know that uh, I I I had a problem connecting with you, but uh, and then when I did, the podcast didn't exist anymore. And then when I got the note from you to say it's back on again, I was like, great. Yeah, this is something I was looking forward to. And and I have thoroughly enjoyed going down memory lane with you guys. So thanks very much.
we we thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Um, so uh, and and I'll forever remember now when you nutmegged Johan Cruyff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to sound like I don't want to sound like uh, arrogant about that either. Because it's a story uh, that you should be telling. Uh, yeah, uh, and yeah. I tell it very sheepishly though. That's why I make a point of saying that I didn't say anything because normally when you nutmeg somebody, it's like oops, uh, but not that ca- not in that case. Yeah, well, we we had a situation at Reading in the nineties when a player did that to Jimmy Quinn, and uh, it didn't end well. So uh, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, um, as I say, thanks ever so much for Bob. It's been uh, uh, for joining us, Bob. It's been an absolute pleasure and and an honour. Uh, and and you are a Reading legend, so um, thank you. And uh, you know, very uh, um, very good to. Uh, reminisce with you i would say johnny thank you and that's the thing that i yeah likewise the thing that i didn't say and we'll finish on this note is i did get a chance to to come back um when i was the national team coach to we had a few players craig forrest was at ipswich uh that that i visited but i made a point of getting to reading and i came with our current owner of, of the whitecaps and boy oh boy was i ever uh, shocked when I saw the new stadium. I, I just thought, wow, like it's, it's come such a long way. And I think it was probably a championship at the time when I, when I visit, but yeah, just really, really impressive. So that's also exciting for me too, to see how it, how the club has evolved from, from the point of view of, of, and don't take, I can't, I'm not going to take anything away from Elm Park. Elm Park is, is stuck in my brain for, forever as, as a place that I thoroughly enjoyed. But yeah, really impressed with the new stadium. So thanks, guys. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Mark. And uh, thank I you. look forward to staying in touch. All right. Definitely. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Okay. My pleasure. Take care. Ciao. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.